this is definitely another film from him that people should sit down and, and give a shot to. Um, Watch it with the family. Probably not. Uh, but at the same time... Go on a picnic. Oh, God. <laughs> that fucking hide-and-seek doll that's at your fucking house, Nick. And you First need to, all, you need to take that shit out of the room when that come time out doll. That's second of all... Even creepier! Second of all... It's even fucking creepier I'll when make you it worse for you, doll. Tucson. I'll make it worse for you, Tucson. Don't talk to me. The next time you see that doll, I want Shut you to think about up. this, and this is a true fact. Shut up. That doll is wearing my clothes. Oh, my God! From when I was one-year-old. Oh, my God! <laughs> Welcome into Film Tank, the weekly podcast that covers both new and classic cinema. On this episode of Film Tank, we discuss the new Lars von Trier film, which is The House That Jack Built, starring Matt Dillon. If you would like to get in touch with Film Tank, you can always email us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Film Tank Show. And you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on iTunes. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Cheney, Toussaint Egan, and myself, Alex Diekman. Hey there, everybody, and welcome in to episode 179 of Film Tank. I am Alex Diekman, and we have the usual crew all together on this episode, and that is myself, Nick Cheney. Hey. And Tucson Egan. Hey. Mm-hmm. Hey. 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 Hey, man. How are we doing? Doing great. Not too yeah. bad. Doing great. Feeling good. Feeling great. We're officially in the new year. I was going to say, I feel yeah. like there's a little new year fatigue going on right now. Yeah. Yeah? Last yeah. night was mad real. Oh. Can you elaborate? No. I was literally just making a reference oh. to a Watch the Throne song. Oh, uh, okay. Gotcha. Anyways, <laughs> we have made it past the cesspool that was 2018. And now we are knee-deep in the cesspool <laughs> that is 2019. Let us wade into the darkness together. Now, I will say... Much like the ending of this film, <laughs> uh, we're still not to the bridge yet. <laughs> yep. Well, it's going to be a real downer when you finally complete the journey and you find the bridge has been destroyed. Yeah, when the Mueller report is finally wrapped up. And you I can make it around. I, I can make it around, can I? No. Nope. Well. I'm going to try. Okay. <laughs> Bruno Gans just fucking hands in the air. It's just great. Yeah, yeah well, that's, I mean, that is literally just a callback to earlier in the film when just explaining that. I'm just telling you exactly how this is going to go, and just can't do it. Anyways, the film we are reviewing on uh, this episode is the newest work by Lars von Trier. uh, Definitely a polarizing director, to say the least. uh, As the provocateur uh, brought out this uh, little film called The Jack That... uh, The Jack... The Jack That Died. <laughs> the Jack That House Built. The Jack That House Built. <laughs> Actually, uh, The House That Jack Built is the name of the film. Uh, and if you can't find this anywhere, that's not necessarily You're surprising. fucking stupid. I think it came out one day. 
Well, yeah, it only came to theaters uh, for one day so far because they have to rethink. Uh, IFC got in trouble because they didn't properly advertise their unrated. I don't know. They basically they broke some kind of MPA policy because they released the unrated cut, but didn't quite, I guess, specify that. What the fuck? But the nice thing for Lars von Trier is it did come out for one day, so it is eligible for the Academy Awards, which we all know it's going to sweep. Yeah, clearly. I mean, it's a weak year at the top, and um, we we know the Academy loves Black Panther, Spider Man into the Spider Verse. It's neck and neck. (laughs) So we all know that the Academy does love Matt Dillon after Crash. So (laughs) it's true. I feel like this movie, the ending, could be read as like what happened to Matt Dillon after he starred in Crash. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) Well, I mean, in fairness, we haven't seen him since. True. So this is just a check-in on what he's been up to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the film The House That Jack Built centers around the story of a highly intelligent serial killer. Is he, though? I'm just reading what IMDb is telling us. So that's fine. Anyways, the story of Jack, a highly intelligent serial killer, over the course of 12 years, depicts the murders that develop his inner madman. Madman, not madmen. Yep. He goes into advertising. <laughs> what if we made a house out of corpses? Uh, I don't know. Maybe people will go for it. Anyways, uh, other than Matt Dillon, we don't have too many big names here. A bunch of people that no one's probably ever heard of. Uma Thurman. That was not one of them, but that's okay. <laughs> Thank you for stealing my thunder. So Uma Thurman is probably the biggest name in the film, other than perhaps Riley Keough. She's been... In quite a few things recently. Mm-hmm. Also, Bruno Gans, uh, who people have probably seen at some point, but maybe don't necessarily know the name. Same thing with uh, Jeremy Davies. Uh, I was going to say okay. uh, Siobhan Fallon Hogan, hmm. who is randomly in things like Forrest Gump and Men in Black. Uh, and, um... Yeah, Men in Black, she plays the alien's wife, or the farmer's... Sugar! Water! Yes, that's her. Yep. So, anyway... she's also, obviously, not that this is surprising, but in uh, interesting roles in other Von Trier films. Uh Damn, it's been minutes since I've seen... Also, too, uh, David Bailey here as SP, uh, the guy who he acquires the the bullet from at the end, who... And the robe. That is true. (laughs) Uh, who anyone out there at home uh, who's counting will know that I know of this gentleman from the Pirates of the Caribbean series. Oh, yeah. Where he plays the mute Pirate Cotton. I literally, <laughs> when I first watched this, I was going to text you and say, who the hell is Cotton? <laughs> if you would have said nothing else other than that, I would have had no idea what you were I talking figured, about. I figured, but then I was going to like try to ease you into it just to see if you knew who Cotton the nope. mute Pirate. Oh, if you, you know, if you would have said pirate. Well, no, I, I was going to say, like, I was going to start you, with just cotton. I was going to say, if you just said, who the fuck is cotton? You best been... start believing in ghost stories. So, uh, well, that line yeah. was not delivered from him because he, in fact, could not talk. Because uh, he's mute. Uh, but he did have a he Like did have that Duncan Jones movie. Uh, Except not like that at all. Yeah, that was, an, that was a movie. <laughs> Why did you remind me of that? Anyway. <laughs> so, Lars von Trier is known... For films like Breaking the Waves and Melancholia and uh, Dancer in the Dark. More recently, the Nymphomaniac series, or Nymphomaniac uh, double feature. 
and Melancholia, which is probably his most mainstream. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think that's the one that most people have at least tried to fave. I thought that like Antichrist was like his last like peak in like this his largest peak in like exposure. That's when I think a lot of people first heard about I him. I think that's when a lot of people were writing about him. But Antichrist came before Melancholia. I know. Yeah. So. But Melancholia, even I went and saw that in the theaters, and I didn't even know who Lars von Schur was okay. before then. All right. Like, I started to put together that, oh, Antichrist is that black and white f- movie, not literally, but the mm-hmm. opening in which you see an erect penis, presumably from Willem Dafoe, go directly inside Charlotte Gainsbourg. Um, yeah, so. Spoiler. <sighs> yeah, well, and then a baby falls out of a window, so. Well, you know. Yeah. I literally, funny story about that movie. <laughs> funny story about that movie. The I've, only funny story about shit. that movie. Oh, my God. I've seen the movie in its entirety now, but the first time I ever watched that movie, which I wasn't really like planning on planning, but like I saw it on Netflix or something, but I'm <laughs> like, oh, I watched that entire opening prologue, and like because that opening prologue disturbed me so much, I decided I was not going to watch that film for at least quite some time. Yeah. I just actually did not read the synopsis, so I hadn't, <laughs> and I hadn't watched a Venture film at that point. So oh, yeah. I was just like, oh boy. That'll do that to you. Yeah. That's, that's Antichrist. Anyway, now I've seen it, and it's actually my least favorite Venture film. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Anyway. Makes sense. <laughs> so, uh, Nick, as uh, frequently happens on this podcast, uh, is... The biggest fan of the director that we are talking about on this episode. And that being said, you are the one who uh, was the real driving force behind us doing an episode on the house that Jack built. Yeah, Nick. So all that being said, I think you should lead us off. And uh, since this is our first Von Trier film, talk about some parts about him as a filmmaker that make oh. you like him so much <laughs> and also to what you thought about this particular film. Well, it's funny that you say that because you say that in front of a lot of time when we talk about a director's first film, not first film, but the first film on the podcast where, you know, you'll like, you'll, mm-hmm. as a good host, you'll say, you know, talk about your overall feelings kind of. Sure. And for me, what's ironic about that in this context, is for me, those two things are inseparable because I think the house that Jack built is an interestingly... Culminative work? Yeah, I was going to say sincere apology from Lars von Trier, uh, in my personal opinion. So he's obviously not a figure uh, foreign to controversy. Um, He famously... Yeah. um, Well, before I even say that, but... His films alone are always divisive and uh, provocative in some way, whether it excludes a lot of uh, violence against women or just uh, sexual uh, dysfunction or violence in general. And always, uh, he's always one to linger on uh, certain shots. Like, you know, it's not just the topics, but it's also the way he captures these subjects. And And, uh, amongst that, off camera, (laughs) he also has a reputation for being a... Bit of a tough cookie because oh, <laughs> um, actresses mostly, not a lot of actors, uh, or I should say female actors, 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 uh, but a lot of women who have worked with him have been very vocal about how he is a dick and he's kind of done a Stanley Kubrick esque uh, method in his directing in which he will. Just shout the fuck out of him. Yeah, and, you know, just get that pain to 
be realistic, I guess. Now, I will say if you look at the history, and I think that's – I'm only bringing this up because I, the house that Jack built kind of goes in this direction. But the you, the people who have complained about him are from his 90s slash early 2000s period. And then after that, which were uh, famously Bjork, who uh, regrets that she was ever in – Dancer in the Dark, yeah. despite winning uh, Best Actress mm. at the Palm or at the Cannes Film Festival, and not even being an actor, you know. Well, mm. I mean, outside of that film, mm-hmm. um, and Nicole Kidman and Dogville, um, neither one of them had anything good to say about him. Um, recently, however, and after he has been sober and actually kicked his addiction mm, and tried and had, I would say, successfully, slightly getting his depression under control. Um, actresses like uh, Kirsten Dunst and Charlotte Gangsberg and Uma Thurman have defended him, which I think is pretty telling that it has, uh, it's an era thing as far as he probably has grown a little, but I the f- completely believe that he was a horrible person uh, back then. The fact that Uma Thurman has a higher opinion of Lars von Trier <laughs> than Quentin Tarantino, obviously there is yeah, a yeah, story yeah. behind that, yeah, but yeah. just looking at it on its face, it's just like, holy shit. Yeah. Because they were like, for the longest time, Tarantino and Thurman were just like simpatico, yeah. like, like until that fateful thing that happened during the production of, of Kill Bill. Um, yep. There's also you, – you you forgot about one other notable well, – and that was the last thing I was going to mention because yeah. this movie, if not directly at least, uh, pretty much subtly alludes to that moment where he famously – if you're talking about the cons press, oh, oh, yeah, press yeah. conference <laughs> oh, yeah. where he made the comments about Hitler – about how basically saying he was misunderstood. And it was like a Q&A for his film. Like, there's no reason why Hitler was even brought up other than for him to just be... Yeah, I mean, it's um, uh, it's a film I didn't care for, uh, really. And I, I'm totally veering off of the Lars von Trier train here for a second. Oh, okay. I was like, wait, where were yeah, we? Yeah, no, sorry about that. Um, but uh, the way... And I actually haven't watched it, but the way you just described it... Uh, reminds me a lot of a film that myself and Toussaint just watched, which was called Vox Lux with Natalie Portman. Oh, my God. Yeah. Anyways, uh, where she is giving a press conference, and instead of giving the answer that she should have given, uh, in a especially in a time of somewhat crisis, where really the only answer is just saying the bare minimum and just get through the moment and let it cool down. Instead, That, that reminds me of the film. You just described the film. Yeah, yeah, but she decides to veer, unfortunately for her, yep. into this weird... Um, Antagonistic. Yeah, and... Provocative, sort of. It's and, just confusing, because why would someone do that? Yep. She's not in her right mind. and Which is, which is I'm assuming, probably what somebody like Von Trier would say Absolutely. about that kind of incident. Not to mention Von Trier, and maybe even more so than the character uh, that Natalie Portman plays, mm-hmm. is has always been painted as a villain who kind of says things to rile people up. So besides the fact that I believe it, he was suffering from yeah. uh, mental health issues, I also think he that was just also him thinking he was making a joke-ish Slash half truth, whatever he wants to call it. He was the Obama. Na- he was the abomination of Obama's nation, and that's a pretty bad way to start a conversation. Yeah. So Tucson, continue. <laughs> 
Sorry. Nick, go ahead. <laughs> no, and so that was so Please don't. the way that I'm ties sorry. in though is that that started a six year ban uh that he was imposed on him from the Cannes Film Festival, which he was allowed to return with this film. <laughs> which uh not ne- not necessarily that it is surprising for the Cannes Film Festival. But he got a major, a large group of walkouts, and also received a standing ovation. That's which ev- is, every film. Yeah. I understand that, but at the same time, even if it is every film, that is very much Lars Venture oh, in a nutshell. I mean, absolutely. Fucking film festivals. Yeah. Not specifically that one. Yeah. Fucking yeah, I was gonna say cons is literally like people boo every film, people stand up for every film, people walk out every film. So, um, What the fuck do they have to think that they're like so high and mighty when basically they've built their entire reputation for this fucking festival around being like highbrow hecklers? Yeah. Like, fuck those guys. I'm sorry. Continue. Yeah, we're, we're not making a lot of progress here. So, yeah. sorry. sorry. <laughs> yes, go ahead, Nick. <laughs> so, now we're here with the house that Jack built. And I love this film. I actually think it's one of Vonture's best maybe not in his top three but this is what's fun about this movie <laughs> literally is that nothing none of his bitterness or um just kind of superior intellectualism you know musings on uh existentialism and whatnot are gone but he seems less interested in making the audience suffer and more interested in trying to whittle down his own protagonist this time around because usually it's it's the audience that are kind of going through the suffering and going and i'm not saying that there aren't brutal scenes in this movie or anything like that um or that someone obviously might not want to watch this movie at all because of the subject matter or whatnot but this is kind of one of those things that seems like a culmination of a inside joke, maybe not even inside joke, but for people who love Von Trier, this kind of feels like a confirmation of like what a lot of his fans have been saying all this time, which is that don't take him too seriously. He hates himself more than you hate him. And at the end of the day, he doesn't even really believe in some of the shit that he says and whatnot. And that's why we'll probably get into it. But this movie to me is, that's why I kind of called it a, kind of sincere apology because I genuinely do think he's in a different place. Since Nymphomaniac, he's been in an increasingly self-reflexive state. Um, He's always made movies with meta-textual elements, but since uh, his previous film, we've Literally, the structure is the same. It's two characters having a conversation to oversee how one of the two characters... uh, Got to that point. I guess they got to that point, but indulges in their biggest vice and what that does to them or what that does to the people they know. could, and this is me just putting my own two cents in there, but could very very well mirror the conversation between a patient and a therapist. Oh, yeah. That's what I thought initially, and then I thought it was... um, a serial killer who had abducted another serial killer. It, oh, it, yeah. it really doesn't matter what the context is in the film. I'm, I guess I'm thinking a little I bit I guess they could like both that. of them are, mm-hmm. like you just said, is patient therapist. And ultimately, it's also just Von Trier talking to himself. Like, he's yeah. kind of be, he's entering the Woody Allen phase of his career. Oh, boy. Where Hopefully it's not, yeah. hopefully it's not that Woody we'll Allen see. phase. Um, <laughs> Lars Von Trier entering into his own equivalent Woody Allen. I mean, he had already... 
you've already laid out his his entire like rogues gallery of bullshit. Like where where can this man go from here? And I'm terrified <laughs> for that. Lower? <laughs> I don't. I'm terrified. No. Catabasis. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Fuck. But I mean, the thing is, is that he's no longer just writing films without. Uh, including its own sounding board. So mm-hmm. before the hot takes can roll in, he is writing in, t- embedded into his structures, uh, a character to actually combat his own bullshit. And I think that's because for the longest time, people have always, I would say, foolishly believed that Lars von Trier is a misanthrope and nothing else because I've always thought that there's been a weird undercurrent of hope in some of his film, not all. Uh, if you take a movie like Breaking the Waves, which I won't like spoil, but that is a misery laden film. You know, it is a tough watch. And that final moment is one of the most spiritual moments I've ever seen in a film, like in an uplifting way. Mm-hmm. And it's literally one second in the entire two-hour, 40-minute movie, and yet that's also the note he ends on, you know. And so I, I've i never bought into the idea that Lars von Trier is a cynic for cynic's sake, but just that, like, breathing, that's what comes out of his mouth first. And, you know, it's just kind of secondhand to him. But now that he's, I think, from what we've heard, off drugs and off uh, alcohol and uh, treating himself a little better... Uh, he is starting to make atones for maybe some of the content that he has portrayed earlier in film, which I don't even know that he necessarily has to. I mean, for some of his movies, because something like Dogville is, you know, that was made apparently during the era in which he was at his worst. Mm -hmm. And yet I think that's like a masterpiece. So I'm part of the problem in the sense that you're enabling him for the appraisal of his art. Absolutely. I mean, (laughs) And I think there's a film actually coming out with Elizabeth Moss that actually kind of tackles this, uh, as she is a, not what we're talking about, but yeah. uh, what I'm going to get on, oh. which is she is a uh, former musician. I don't know if she's a rock star. But, oh, yeah. It's um, a, and her, her smell. Her I smell, yeah. it is. That's an Alex Ross Perry film. I love him. Yeah? Yeah. I'm interested in seeing it, um, mostly because of the content, not necessarily because of the director and Elizabeth Moss, even though I think she's a great actress. But at any rate. Yeah. Um, and this has been something that's kind of just been common thought throughout uh, the history of rock and roll, yeah. of once the band, specifically the lead singer, goes off drugs, they're not fun anymore. It's yeah. that douchebag line of no junk, no soul. I mean, I don't like it. I'm, I, I mean, I, un, un, I get un, it on un, some un, level, un, but like, even if uh, people are trying not to, like, you can just look at the numbers, and people will not pay as much attention mm-hmm. if people oh, yeah. are not destroying themselves yeah. uh, on the stage while they're watching. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I'll obviously very quickly talk about the house that Jack built. I don't think you can talk about it, though, without talking about Von no, Trier himself, because I think personally this is him trying to say, as much as I tried to lift up you know, what his works as just things to experience and not necessarily to read into, um, that's kind of like climbing a very high wall to sneak into heaven uh, <laughs> and so I you know um, but I, I think this movie is uh, 
his funniest movie. I think Matt Dillon is putting on a fantastic performance. Um, Are we sure that Matt Dillon's on a serial killer in real life? By the way, I don't. I don't think we can be after this. <laughs> after this movie, yeah. um, he's he's so good in this. Um, it's the structure is nothing new for Von Trier, but it certainly gets the job done. Um, I. I would say most of the digressions work for me, but not every single one. But that's kind of par for the course for his recent uh, self-reflexive philosophical musing, uh, f- you know, era. Um, but I'm kind of it's what today I watched it for the second time, and I was surprised by the fact that every time we were in one of the incidents, you know, like if we were in the second one or something, all I kept thinking about was how I wanted to watch, like, all of them at the same time. Like, I couldn't pick which sequence was kind of more engaging than the other for me personally because they all had their uh, kind of raison d'etre, whatever. Uh, raison d'etre. Yes. Uh, for for their existence and, and what they offered. And I love that this movie starts off pretty hysterical for me. Like, the first two stories are... Very farcical. God, I was I, I was so in in Jack's <laughs> fucking seat, and I did, and, I, and it's fucking. You're biz- talking about the first. The story. first thing <laughs> I'm just like, oh my god, shut the fuck which, up. Which the uh, structure of going from the lighter side yes. and uh, slowly getting more depressing is very similar to what we saw in his last film, Nymphomaniac. True. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah. And um, and that's why I think the ending of this movie works, because just when you think that, you know, he's just going deeper and deeper into that kind of misery. He's <laughs> 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 um, just going deeper in a different sense. Yes. Uh, we still get the fact that this all ends with a fucking fable, you know, it, it just with him falling into the pits of hell smash cut to hit the road jack like this von trier i don't think is ever going back to his days of pure misery like without this kind of uh chaser yeah deadly sense of humor um it's definitely his best uh end credit song since uh david bowie's young americans in uh dogville which is a humdinger of a final statement. Got to. I need to watch that with you sometime. Yeah, that's gonna be. We're gonna watch that on the podcast one day. Okay. Uh, probably not anytime soon. Other we watch this, but uh, it, that's a that's a film. Right I will there. say uh, the first thing I thought of, yes. and uh, and I'm done by the way, which is fine. Uh, the first thing I thought of as we cut to that song at the beginning of the credits um, was unable to think of anything else. As that uh, used to be the song, and I think it might still be, that the um, Chicago Bulls and many other NBA teams play when a player gets ejected oh. and can no longer play in the game and has to go to the locker room. <laughs> and I just like the idea of somebody being sent away, and that's just kind of the, well, we don't need that anymore. So. Yeah. Uh, which I don't necessarily know if it's a one-to-one comparison yeah. with this uh, film, but I thought it was interesting the I way was, it was placed in the trailer. Yeah, and I will or, say sorry, in the credits. that also just talk about comedic timing. This movie conditions you to just hum fame over and over and over to the point where I genuinely thought we were going to smash cut, actually, because he'd done that before, to fame. Mm. And I was probably going to chuckle, you know, like, oh, whatever. But because I was... Waiting for that, that just that end credit. Blindsided. Yeah, and it and it was all the better for it. So yeah. anyway, um, can I go next? You can. Um, so going off of something that Nick talked about, um, 
the assertion that Lars von Trier is a misanthrope. I will admit that for a time I did sort of subscribe to that because I just haven't seen a lot of his films. I've seen some of his notable films. Um, I will never watch Antichrist again. That's just sort of like that. That's, that's in, fair. That is that's just one of those films that I have I have placed on the same sort of pedestal as akin to like the film Kids that was written oh, by right. Harmony Korine yeah. or the anime film Kite like I've watched them good I good think at what it does I think I think that I get what, get at what it does and there's even things that I like about those films but it's just like that is that's a little bit too much darkness for this time in my life and, and I and I've already passed through that and I don't <laughs> want to do it again I just really quickly want to add too just for the context of Antichrist if you want to think of what Lars von Trier's mindset is, you can trace it this way, which is everything made before Antichrist is things that he made during his quote-unquote dark days uh, mm-hmm. when he was a drug addict and alcoholic and horrible dick director. Mm-hmm. Uh, Antichrist is the sole film that he basically wrote while he was detoxing and mm-hmm. actually trying to get over it and then from melancholia on it's like he's trying to bleed all the poison out of him into the onto the actual fucking screen and boy is it there yeah and and melancholia until even now are all the films that he's talking about in my opinion his not his well in this film yeah but depression and whatnot from the distance that he now has so anyway yeah so the whole notion of him being sort of a misanthrope um there's a scene from uh, Melancholia with Kirsten Dunst that I, I remember very notably because it's like near the conclusion of it. And I think it's with her sister or something like that. She's yeah. talking to her and she's like talking about faith and other stuff like that. And she was like, you know what I think? And he was like, oh, I bet she's going to say that's bullshit. And I was like, I think that's fucking bullshit. And I was like, and, and you know, that, that seems like such a a nihilistic and, and, and sort of defiant thing, like a way to just spit in somebody's face and say that. But I think looking back on it now, like it feels like, well, yeah, it is all those things on its face, but it also is sort of like, you know, you're putting, putting your faith in something that's not even here when really the only real thing that we know of is actually right in front of us. And this is about to end and you're not even willing to be able to confront and embrace that and embrace mm-hmm. the wholeness of, of the fact that we are here right now. And I'm just like, yeah, that's that, that seems that seems actually pretty affirmative in a in a in a humanistic sense. So it's like misanthropy that circles back to actually be being sort of like ennobling through its 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 sort of caustic sobriety. Um yeah, I I I enjoy nymphomaniac. I enjoy, I enjoy Nymphomaniac. As did I. Yeah, I, 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 I watched that for the first time with uh, with Nick and Alex, and I watched the second part on my own. And I was like, that's a, that's a humdinger of a film right there. <laughs> yeah, the spoon scene in the beginning of the second part is always my favorite. Oh, I was talking about the counting scene. Oh, the spoon scene is awesome, too. Yeah, just because uh, like the like action of it is great, yeah. but kind of the final note of her just walking away and you hear them just the complaining on the ground. Right. Yeah. And there, right there, really quick, for him being uh, you know, a provocateur, mm-hmm. he also knows when not to show things yeah. because that makes that scene hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot better for having not shown it. Um, but with regards to the house that Jack built, um, you know – it is I'm, – I'm sort of piggybacking off of what Nick said where you're talking about how people 
go into a Lars von Trier, Trier film with a certain disposition and certain expectations given what they know about that director and what they know about his past work and that they expect to it's like it's almost it almost feels like the the cinematic equivalent of self-flagellation that we just subject ourselves to this 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 merciless just humorless just death march of 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 of, of scenes and try to like make sense of it and, and find clarity or meaning in that experience. And like, and sometimes, you know, it, it, you are able to take something very affirming out of it. Um, like I mentioned with, uh, with Mel- melancholy with this, this is him at his most farcical. This is him at his most, um, most winking, I think. Um, and I didn't necessarily get what I wanted to get out of it. And what I thought I, I did get was, you know, I have a history with films like this where, like, for horror films, I won't necessarily, like, get creeped out or anything. But when it comes to awkward sort of cinema verite films, I will convulse in my fucking seat. I, 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 will, I, I will shriek. We know. Because, I, because that's, that's what Melancholia was for me. Like when, uh, when robot from Rocky Four made you do that. That was different. That was humor. Hello, but, Polly. No, that but, was sexual arousal. But but in in Melancholia, when the mother gets up and starts like lambasting John Hurt as the father in front of the entire yeah. thing, like Her that wedding toast, that was absolutely fucking horrifying to me because I was like, oh my god, that could be me. I could be <laughs> sitting there witnessing this, and it would be so fucking awkward. Or Uma Thurman scene in Infomaniac, yeah, with the whoring bed, yeah, the whoring bed, yeah. But this, there was no sort of like equivalent for that for me. It was more of just like, if it did have moments like that, it felt like mid-tier cringe horror like i've i've experienced more powerful convulsions than this i still think that it was um the horror and the 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 murder i know this is going to sound fucking crazy but it almost feels entirely after the fact compared to the overall mood of this film it's 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 baffling to me even just like thinking that because it's so grotesque but it just feels like such a – like it's there, but it's not the point. I will say what you're saying right now is kind of what I liked about it because of the fact that I felt like this movie could have – one scene in particular, yeah. it, it almost like apes, but could have went the Hannibal route. Yeah. Oh my god. In, that I was thinking the same thing. But in fetishizing these kind of tableau, but I feel like what's kind of great about like, right. for example, the way he lays out the picnic family mm-hmm. in the tableau of the game trophies. He or doesn't show it entirely. The, the house of, you know, the like house he that builds. he builds. Yeah. Um, as much as they are certainly shot with a kind of uh, distinct purpose, mm-hmm. they don't ever feel like, like, I don't know, they don't turn the color filters up or... Uh, it's it's not like it, I don't get the same feeling from that as I do from watching an episode of Hannibal where I'm just like okay I saw the last episode I I made it through that it wasn't that bad I can go through this oh my god it's so much worse than the last episode how did they get this shit on NBC <laughs> um no there there was that was literally my thought process watching that show I love that show but uh, no there was nothing like this in 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 that case um yeah I think that except for the child's face. Oh my God! That that was different. That you want to know how I got these guys? That was 
actually really fucking hilarious, and I feel and I feel really bad for laughing because it just became the centerpiece of that one scene, and then it just becomes like this motif, like in no, every no, but, other. But, one. but good for Lars Rundgren. <laughs> I, I will say this: he definitely comes through as a foreign director, as an American director who would not make this film. He would never. Um, however, or she would never. Yeah. Uh, an American director would have gone out of their way to be like, look, there it is again, yeah. where he's just like leisurely <laughs> passing by. <laughs> it's, it's, yes. it's seriously like that fucking hide and seek doll that's at your fucking house, Nick. And you, need, all, to, you need to take that shit out of the room when I come time out doll. That's second of all. Even creepier. Second of all. It's even fucking creepier. I'll make it worse for you, Tucson. I'll make it worse for you, Tucson. Don't talk to me. The next time you see that doll, I Shut want you to Think about up. this, and this is a true fact. Shut up. That doll is wearing my clothes. <laughs> oh my god! From when I was one year old. Oh my god! <laughs> ah! All right, I'm done with my opening thoughts. Alex, you go. <laughs> well done. Um, yeah. Um, I actually do think that uh, I kind of wish uh, we had done this episode on a different day, other than. Uh, the day I first saw it. Ah. Um, but I will say, um, nonetheless, I feel like I have a pretty good gauge on what my feelings are on this. And that's that I'm pretty down the middle on this film. I'm, I will say I'm a fan of Lars von Trier films because I enjoy watching them, even if I don't necessarily like them. Yeah. And I think that is a sign of a really great artist that makes you want to see what he's doing. And it's not like wanting to watch something like Michael Bay films and see how horribly he's going to fail. Um, I'm, I'm legitimately interested to see what Lars von Trier has to say. And even though I'm, you know, I think that this film is, I think, better than just middle of the road. Um, I still don't necessarily always love everything about it. Same kind of way I felt about Nymphomaniac. And in fairness, those are the only two films of his that I've seen. Yeah. And I've uh, and wanted to watch they're his very other similar works. similar, too. So yeah. it would make sense also for sure. me, at least, that they would be, you would have a similar reaction. And I'd like to watch other films, uh, especially his earlier, more... I don't want to say famous, but earlier, more uh, thought of works like Breaking the Waves and yeah. Um, and uh, I will say, even though I never really had any interest in it, uh, the two of you have talked me out of ever wanting to watch Antichrist. <laughs> so, I mean, that's it's... something that you're going to watch once, uh, preferably not with your wife uh, and never again. Yeah. Not similar, but um, Emily got home last night uh, while I was rewatching Annihilation, and she walked in just as during the humanoid. Yeah, just, <laughs> just as Natalie Portman was sliding down into the hole, and I was like, "You're gonna have no idea what's going on." Yeah, not that you would, anyway. I was gonna say, but at the same time, you're gonna watch just, this and think, "What is happening?" Yeah. yeah. So um, I can only imagine. Yeah, I can only imagine. That is a great scene, by the way. When, yeah. Um, uh, not her, but Ventress, uh, played by what's her name, Jennifer, Jennifer Jason. Jason Lee. You know what someone needs to do? Someone needs to take the scene with the humanoid where they're sort of mirroring one another and overlap it with the music from Take on Me. 
Anyways, get back to the scene I was referring to. <laughs> Uh, it is great to see like the fire kind of just escape from her body and then come around and yeah. kind of create that almost weird um, sort of wormhole into a different dimension. Uh, and then it starts with the weird music and all the other things. Anyways, getting back to the house that Jack built. Uh, I feel like I am teetering the line on being a fan of this film. Because I do really appreciate Matt Dillon's performance here, as I think he fits creepily too well into the character he's playing. Um, and the more I think about it, the more I feel like I've never seen him in anything other than the kind of character he's playing here. Because I legitimately do think his character in There's Something About Mary is also probably a horrible person. <laughs> well, yeah. And, like, like even worse than is being displayed on the screen. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, obviously, we know that his character in something like Crash is yeah, a there, terrible person as well. So, and, and Except this film <laughs> has the balls to take that character and say, go to hell, Jack. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, all that being said... Uh, other than just Matt Dillon's performance and uh, the way he portrays his character, I feel like this film, for me, falls into the same traps that something like Nymphomaniac did, uh, where I really did appreciate a lot of the action for most of the film. Uh, and then, for me, Von Trier gets a little caught up in his own story, oh, in a he's, way. Yeah, he's very much stuck in that mode as a filmmaker right mm-hmm. now and, and that's that's okay uh but for my take on the film it, it feels like this is just running circles around itself haha <laughs> seven of them in fact and it, it just it feels like after we get about halfway through the film like probably right around like right after the third um killing and right mm-hmm. before the riley keow scene until the very ending epilogue part of this film, it feels like this is just trapped in a sort of one note mode that that kind of forgets about actions that happened earlier in the film, even partially storylines. Like I feel like he has an entire subplot uh, regarding him wanting to photograph uh, his victims and that is almost abandoned after the third killing which i thought was a little bit odd and i feel like that's for me a little bit of a microcosm of this film is that although it's the final shot i'm sorry yeah the oversaturated yeah inverse yeah so i i think he drops things for example he drops fame after a few yeah um whatnot i i agree with you in the sense that i i think you are right i i'll just say about the photo thing is that i think that was less of a subplot and more of just uh, he paid lip service as to you know his musings on to what he gets out of those Which, negatives, yeah. And then the ultimate kick payoff to that is that the final shot of this movie is hell uh, as seen through that negative, yeah. Which is that basically he was right, and like maybe as a little kid he knew more than he let on, mm. and yet that also means he, if he had that information, maybe he should have been a better person, or well. Anyway, I don't necessarily know if he didn't want to be a better person. Mm. I feel like the first scene is very telling about his character 
as Uma Thurman just keeps egging him on for the most part. True. He doesn't real like he keeps He continuously trying. tries to go away. Yes. And she keeps saying, Please take me there, please take me back, please help me, please go me. And then she does the ultimate thing, and this is important because actually this is why I think this scene is probably the best out of all of the killing scenes. Although I did enjoy the second one too. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, Uma Thurman almost kind of questioning his masculinity towards being a murderer. Oh, you're much too much of a wimp. Like, are you, bitch, right. what are you doing? Yeah, I think that is that is probably the most telling line of the entire film mm-hmm. for me. There's a morbidity to that. It's like also the, you were talking about the photos. Yeah. The whole name of Mr. Sophistication. <laughs> I was going to mention that while we were watching the film, but I got lost off, got off the track. But that sounds like the fucking name of like a killer's B side or like a Panic at the Disco LP. Like it's just a really Whoa. corny ass like name. Absolutely, and that's why I also think once again, Jack is a stand-in for Lars von Trier at his most self-deprecating. Yeah, which yeah. is that he would actually. I'm sophisticated. Yeah, you know he that he pays because that's literally a character who creates art, so to speak paying lip service to his own intellect, which is what Lars von Trier does in almost every movie. Yeah. So I will close this by saying, even though some of the structural parts of this film I didn't love, uh, and again, um, another thing is that some of Lars von Trier's theory and all of the shit he just sprinkles into his films sometimes, I don't want to say goes over my head, but... I just kind of... It's a long thread to follow. Yeah, I like, kind of... It's not even that it's so smart. It's just that... No, it's just... It's just... I, I lose... Yeah. I don't want to say lose interest, but I... Yeah. I'm trying to keep all the pieces together, and at some point, you just kind of have to give up. Yeah. Uh, especially on a first viewing. Yeah. Uh, and I will close by saying I loved the epilogue, I loved the final yeah. scene, and I love the continuation of kind of tying that whole ribbon together. But I will bring up, and I think this is when I'll go into our general discussion, if that's Mm -hmm. okay. Uh, And that's because this is my reading of a scene Mm. and your reading of a scene. And I don't necessarily know if I'm right, but only because it's the second film of his that I've seen. Mm. And the first time I've seen this film, my initial reading of him, including images from his other films was this guy's, a fucking asshole who is just trying to tie in his other works and say, well, I've shown you these before. And I, I don't know. It, it just felt a little bit weird. Because he was making a comment about on-screen violence yeah. as a form of catharsis or, or something like that. I, I can't remember yeah. it verbatim. But so like, technically speaking, when you see those images from his past films, it comes amidst his conversation also about genocide. Yeah. And so that's interesting because he literally got banned from yeah. cons from saying something like, uh, mm-hmm. I think Hitler was misunderstood. So I found that scene to be kind of... Uh, winking towards Winking that. and sadly hilarious because I thought that, for you know, if you say something like that, you know, a very bad uh, faux pas. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's a faux pas. That's a faux pas. You know, yo, maybe, yo, maybe, oh my, I'm not, nope, I'm not going to put that sound clip out there yeah, in the universe. Nope. Damn it. Nope. I almost had him. Nope. Um, <laughs> but no, but for said him. too much shit on this podcast already. After I, you make that kind of comment, I think it's kind of 
hilarious that you would actually call attention back to it, basically, by inviting those comparisons to your own work. But in my opinion, he's essentially, and I think, showing that Jack is full of shit, as if what he is doing is anything on the level of what he is, shall we say, uh, inspired by, so to speak. Mm. Because here's the thing. Virgil, I was about to say Bruno Gans, <laughs> playing Hitler. Bruno Gans. Yes, Hitler. Um, which I also think, actually, he was probably at least partly casted because of that. Oh, yeah. As an inside joke. Just, he, I mean, he played meme Hitler. He's mm-hmm. the Hitler that people share who never see that actual film. Um, myself included. Um, Virgil tells him that he's actually not supposed to, you know, he's not... Uh, shall we say, assigned to that lowest of the low, uh, and that he's actually a few levels back. He just wanted to show him. So, I, you know, I think that is kind of a callback to the idea that Jack thinks of himself as, like, if if he's going to be this, you know, serial killer and whatnot, that his art is in destruction, makes him just as intellectual and just as evil or whatever as those who have come before him, which... He's drawing that correlation, and yet no one else is. In fact, Virgil, in uh, some of the funnier moments of this film, is when Virgil continues, continually has to be like, oh, Jack, Evan, like, Von Trier smash cuts to, like, another scene, which is genuinely, like, another uh, simile for Lars Von Trier's own audience yeah. going, oh, Lars, yeah. like... Like he's oh, just Jack, you're so crass. Yeah, and so he's just baking everything into this movie. It, yeah. You don't. You literally. This is like a TV dinner. You open up the film, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you have I mean, everything. what kind of TV dinner? A shitty pizza, which he only ate one yes. of. Ah. Oh, that was good. I love for a man who has OCD, he just never once thought to like get rid of those. How does <laughs> you see yeah. them like littered throughout? Yeah, the dead like bodies. every so often, he must have just got more and more mad and just kept like throwing them. That's another thing. We have a uh, a serial killer with OCD who has almost this like negligent, like this compulsive yeah, negligence. Story. What I was gonna say. Let's talk about the second story. It, yeah. It, if we could really quickly, oh, sorry, sorry. you had um, kind of yep. given a interesting reaction when I said I enjoyed the epilogue. <gasps> yes. So can you elaborate on your thoughts on that a little bit? Yeah. So uh, for anyone who's seen it, obviously this is a spoiler, but not that we haven't spoiled it already. That's film tank. But this is laying it all out there. So throughout the film, uh, Jack is talking to an unseen person. Uh, and he keeps calling him Verge throughout the film. Uh, about midway point, you do hear the character unseen at still uh, of Verge say his full name as Virgil and make a reference to his quote-unquote most famous work, The Aeonids. So technically speaking, at that point, that is when you can first start to piece together that this is the poet Virgil. The Aeonid. Yeah, that's what I was... T- I didn't I yeah. didn't hear it. The, I thought you said the Anus or oh. something like that. <laughs> No, like no, no, I know. His most famous fit. work. Yes, no, like, most famous. Like, I thought, no, I thought I, you were talking about some obscure no, no, like Greek no, no, no. poem. The I'm like, not the yeah. A in it. Yeah, he, I know he that asked is. him because Jack is talking about his own art, and he's like, "Well, people can." He goes, "What about yours?" He goes, "Well, my most famous work was taken from me and used as, and so I 
which is actually true in real life. He, you know, disowned it. And yeah. He goes, so if you can do that, why can't I uh, do this with destruction, whatever? So anyway, you get your first clue of what might happen by the end. Uh, but up until that point and after that point, you don't get much else. So when he uh, opens the door that he could not open, of course, until his uh, crazy I love, too, that he could not open it, but clearly he could have. He just chose not to. Yeah. I think it's one of those things where it's fight or flight, where like he only opened it when he literally had no other choice mm-hmm. type thing. And um, yeah, so when he gets in there, he finally meets Virgil. And we are treated to the fact that the conversation they start there is what we've been hearing since mm-hmm. the very beginning. And what we've been listening to is, of course, basically Jack's own version of uh, Dante's Inferno, where um, Virgil, the poet, played, not played, but... Even though he was a poet in real life, the character of Virgil, the poet, was in that story and led the protagonist through all seven layers of hell. And so, yeah, the epilogue, we get to see Lars von Trier's uh, visualization of that uh, as specific to Jack. I don't think he's trying to say that this is some kind of... Yeah, like some kind of broad version of it, because we literally see the scene, especially um, with the the scythe, uh, you know, the reapers... And whatnot. What's going on, man? I'm just thinking of the, the the rigor mortis totem scene and how it was yeah. just revealed again. It's just, yeah, it's, it's just, great. it just plays in my mind. It's it just fucking grotesque and and absolutely hilarious. <laughs> it looks like it looks like the fucking uh, uh, what is it? The Azuzu uh, a statue from The Exorcist with the raised hands. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Oh shit! <laughs> um, I'm sorry. No, yeah, no, continue. No. I, I, but for Elysian Fields, um, yeah. I liked that image just because it sort of embodied um, one because it was actually a field, but it w- it harkened to his own like youth of finding tranquility and peace and like listening to these men just like work their sides across a field and knowing that he can never really embrace or enjoy that sort of peace that he sort of has denied himself that he had such a void for and that he was trying to fill that void with this 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 death spiral of, oh, yeah. of anger and, and 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 death and realize it was just it it, it it has no substance whatsoever no that scene was sympathy for the devil yeah you know, in that's a nutshell. It. yeah i do uh like your description of that but I also love um, and and something that I find, and I, I I guess I'm not disagreeing with either of your readings of this at all because I I don't necessarily have a true reading on on the kind of final last like hour of this film to be totally honest with you. Yeah. But um, my favorite comparison in this film, referencing itself in my opinion, is the idea of the continuous sound that is being heard. And as you go deeper in, you're continuing to hear it, which harkens back to me, um, his comparison of the icon of the sound of the, um, as it's getting closer, the terror kind of um, is let in as they put this um, sort of, it's not, but the, the, it's fictitious because like we, and, and, true to true to life you're like that is a sound that is almost made with those specific airplanes as they are Mm -hmm. getting closer Mm -hmm. but really it is fabricated and not real yeah Uh, but that being said it's uh, i find it very interesting as the further he goes in the more he hears this 
terrifying sound as it gets it's, deeper toward and it's yeah it's primordial yeah. psychological warfare yeah yeah well and it's also you know what we sometimes take for granted as quote unquote nature mm. is if we look deeper is just choices you know that mm. that plane is not mm. some kind of accidental <laughs> um symbol of war it is a man made yeah <laughs> uh death machine yeah. that also wants to be known as that which would, is Jack in a nutshell mm -hmm. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that I am a killer well no uh well, I, no, I, wait, I, no. I, I would say that I, I that's not what I said <laughs> I wouldn't say that I treat him like Jerry particularly enjoyed this film like I, I I enjoyed it but I just I don't enjoy it as much as I've enjoyed some of his enjoyed quote quote his 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 other films uh really quickly yeah I'm sorry to keep cutting but yeah. I, I just want to get this yeah yeah your actual thoughts on the epilogue though. so I love the epilogue okay. I, from Good. the moment uh Virgil shows up in the flesh to I mean that's from that moment to the very final moment, um, I just think it's genuinely a perfect sequence. Um, from the the crystallization of, you know, Jack is not crazy. Because, you know, that was kind of possibly an interpretation when you're watching the film and haven't gotten to the ending. Because it is literally one of the biggest staples of the genre that he's hearing voices and he's talking to himself, possibly. Uh, but no, that's literally not the case. And not only that, but... This movie has the conviction to take what I think most people, most movies in this kind of genre would only do metaphorically, you know, a conversation with the devil. If this does not try to actually backtrack that or make it ambiguous, uh, this says once you open that door, <laughs> you are, you know, in you are seeing what's behind it. And in this case, it is, you know, um is going deeper into that well, literally. I mean, the epilogue itself is called uh, catabasis, and that means... It is the oldest form of... I know what catabasis is because I read Nomon, and that is yeah. actually a, a key idea, concept to that. Catabasis means the descent downward. It's, meant, it, it's actually the model for, like... Some of the most like iconic iterations of the hero's journey. It's especially um, known in the story of of not Odysseus, but not Oedipus. Uh, Homer. No, no Orpheus and oh, Eurydice. Right, right, right. Yeah, Orpheus ahead. and Eurydice. Yeah, yeah. Um, literally his descending. Literally, yeah. that 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 is a catabasis. Yeah. It's it's taken both literally in a, in a sense to a, a descent into hell or a descent inward. Yep. And, um, yeah, and so from that moment on to, like, even if there were no more lines from the moment they go down, it would still be amazing to me because the visuals in those sequences uh, are, it, it's so weird because it's kind of almost everything that you can you can complain about Von Trier in this state of his career because it is so scattershot. I mean, one scene is filmed with, like, a fucking GoPro in a cave. Another <laughs> scene is just a slow-motion uh, slow motion canvas of, you know, them and the, the red kind of, I don't know, uh, tall, standing... It whatever. looks like a, like a forest of blood trees. Yeah, it, I mean, it looked Twin peaks and especially because... If you look closely in that scene, there's also just a very random uh, bathroom sink. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, just things are not um, 
materially possible in uh, some of these sequences. Dream logic. Yeah. And to the uh, Elysian fields and all the way to the cliff and the bridge. And um, I just think he just runs the gamut of uh, dreamlike, but also what I would think is pretty rational <laughs> um, Hades-esque imagery, um, where it's it's weird because true to form that it has a weird inner beauty to it and almost a logic to its varying depths i mean the 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 starting leg of it is that kind of underwater uh thing uh where they're like in the bubbles and i feel like it's almost laughable but if you're liking what this film is doing especially in that sequence um it's kind of gorgeous and it obviously sets the stage for uh much worse uh places to be you know what that Um, reminded me of what the music video for the whale song by modest mouse which is the strangest like reach i know but it's just like it's it looks like a fucking modest mouse music video well i'll have to watch that man. Yeah, just isaac brock descending into hell uh, <laughs> so yeah so I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that sequence i absolutely love the final scene uh, yeah. with the bridge i think i don't care if it's just you know blunt uh the fact that he ends his movie with him, uh, Jack literally Plummeting. trying to cheat against common wisdom being thrown at him by the person who knows literally, I would assume, everything about the location that he's only been in for, you know, <laughs> a short time, um, only to fall and succumb to the depths of hell. I mean, that's it's kind of funny. It's like people like Jack or shall we just say evil people in general think they can cheat death or cheat their way I was going to say think they can cheat death but you don't even have to do the you don't even have to like punish them they will pretty much hang by their own noose if you just give them a way out you know uh, and that's what happens here strung up by your own petard (laughs) he does think he can cheat both God and the devil oh yeah and then that is I mean, there was something... But I'm saying giving him that option yeah. or saying, by the way, you're not even going to be here. Like, you're not even as bad as this. Yeah. You're going to be up there or whatever. Right. Like, well... I think that w- that totally was intentional. I think that yeah. is actually his, yeah. his, his, his ultimate punishment that was meant to be intended. Which yeah. is... But it's interesting that you said that, you know, Virgil knows everything, uh, presumably, about this location. But it's like he was like yeah there used to be a bridge there but that was before my yeah, time which is ironic because in the story of the divine comedy it's dante being escorted to the depths of hell by virgil as a psychopomp in order to uh chase after uh, beatrice or whatever stuff like he's he's just basically yeah. like acting as cartographer for hell and then from the depths of hell sort of like rising out of that and then like climbing through like the different echelons of the firmament of of heaven which is what that sort of scene is alluding to is like because that's where dante went before but it's been so long that apparently now even fucking virgil doesn't even remember that shit which Uh, is crazy how about the view of basically heaven um and him crying which is, I think, the only time we see any sort of pure pure emotion yeah. from yeah, because he has to fake it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> fake all, it. In all those other scenes. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um. That's no. I mean, I I'm a big fan of that scene. I can mm-hmm. see why maybe some people might not be because you're obviously following a person who's awful. Um. But to not allow that's true. But but you're you've you've reached the point where now they're being told that you think you have this kind of figured out 
well, not necessarily even that. I think he thought he had this almost divine uh, power because things just always seem to work out for him. And now it's like, actually, you're just a piece of shit. And <laughs> yeah. here's what you could have had if you were a good person. But instead, you're not allowed to go there. Well, and that's why I said the phrase figured out because I think Jack is a type of person who has always thought that because he has this kind of nihilistic brand of uh, ideas about morality and whatnot, he's always assumed he was right. And so for him to literally look out that window and basically experience something that he probably could have felt if he had actually been open to uh, to other ideals that were not his own be- I, at least that's how I think it's partly. If well, only, but, if only you read the right letters. Yeah, that's what. It, it also says that he believes that there has to be good and evil, and just mm. because I'm good at being evil doesn't necessarily mean I shouldn't have to go to hell because I was born to be this, there just ha- like the there, tiger. Right. There has to be yeah. a tiger and a lamb. Yeah. Right. No, yeah, that's as true as well. It yeah. is, but it's also kind of bullshit, and it he is. just has bought into it. Yeah, yeah. so. Um, we were going to talk about the second scene, uh, which yes. is probably my favorite of the film. Really? Only, only because of the conversation that takes place at the door. I thought you loved the hunting scene. Oh, I did that. I did that. We're going to get to that. Oh, yeah. Um, there were two things about the hunting scene that I liked. I know. Um, and it was just his delivery that made the one line uh, specifically amazing. Yeah. Um, but his off-the-cuff discussion with the female at the door where he tries to gain entry without actually breaking in, uh, where we get the true uh, Lars von Trier thought on actually what people think when it comes to... No, I don't even necessarily know if it's just greed. I think it's the idea of what people believe society is, and they... The like, like somebody just telling you, "Oh, I'm a police officer." You would, you know, at like a like a child's level would think, "Oh, well, that's all well and good." But then somebody saying, "Well, no, I'm lying to you. I'm not a police officer," which, first of all, is like the biggest red flag you could ever throw <laughs> out. But oh, uh, I have no proof, but I can make you money. Uh, come on in. Yeah. Um, that whole scene, and also just uh, the deliveries from. Matt Dillon were just incredible, especially the, uh, I can't remember the name of the Glenn, I think it yeah, is. Hi, Glenn. Goes, hi, Glenn. Yeah. I, I don't know. You I know was, Glenn? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, where do you know of one anyway? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, and his uh, Matt Damon and the informant clap. When yeah. that, she... is the, that is an informant like performance right <laughs> yeah. there. When, when she asks, um, or still won't let him in after he's mm-hmm. explained why he doesn't have his badge and, and whatnot. Um, no, I'm a huge fan of that. It's, it's, it's being cleaned. Yes, it's being polished because he got a promotion. Oh, really? Well, what's uh, what's your that's rank cl- now? Classified. Yeah, that's we we can't. Well, okay. So are you going to let me know? Oh man! But um, after that too, I also love the fact that the that's where his OCD truly gets introduced. Um, because he's now killed someone not on his own turf, because technically he kills Uma Thurman in his van, so I think it was probably less because that's his, and he can control that much better. So after he kills her in a very botched job, because he thought he had killed her all in one go, but kind of has to do it two more times before it actually takes. (laughs) And um, 
after he takes the body, he puts it back in his van, the kind of like seven to ten minute sequence in which he just keeps imagining that there might be blood pellets in hmm. literally irrational places, like where blood could not possibly have gotten. Like, like under, be- under the stool? Yeah, under the stool, behind a picture on a wall, <laughs> you know, and that kind of... Um, <laughs> And, and and so that almost becomes a downfall, which is another kind of running gag in this movie that I love, which how many cops he comes across and who just lets him walk away because of how fucking weird Forget he is. Forget that. He's even telling them what happened yeah, for by, the most part. Yeah, by the fourth I, incident. I, I think she might be gone. Uh, I think she might have left. Well, maybe because she just doesn't like you. Well, that might be true. I think she might be gone. Also, too, I think she might have been murdered right here. You might want to check it. <laughs> Besides the red hats and the following story. This I, better be impeccable. I think that is the closest thing we have we got slightly to a uh, Make America Great Again uh, message. Because if people remember, the press circuit for this film, when it was just in its early stages, when he was just writing it, he randomly said that, oh, it's uh, the script is inspired by Donald Trump. And clearly that was just bullshit provocation in the sense that, you know, he just made his own movie. Oh, Jack. However, I do think literally the scenes in which he tells cops what he's done, and then they're like, no, no, you just, whatever, like, that is pretty much, I would say, uh, the situation that conservatives have found themselves in as far as, like, say, like, well, he said, but yeah, and now we're mad that he, you know, did the exact same thing that he said. You know what this is? This is hell. (laughs) You're going through hell right now. Yeah. We should, we should make him a Supreme Court justice. Oh, there we go. So, um, yeah, I, I love that. And that's the, of course, that ends with the wonderful uh, fame introduction. <laughs> well, I mean, and that is the probably the introduction and I think actually probably the loudest moment of divine intervention. Yes. As you have the rain coming down to save him from yeah. the actually kind of uh, comical trail of blood that goes from the house literally leading the police back to his lair. Yep. Yeah, no, all that scene was missing was Hillary Duff singing, Let the rain fall oh down God. and wash my suit. <laughs> oh, anyway. Yeah. Uh, um, so the third story, huh? So first of all, that is the, I don't think you could have laid it on any thicker than the bright red hats. <laughs> yeah. That nope. he and he's forcing all of the other people to wear at the same time. Um but the the line of the film for me, which I had like a Toussaint like belly laugh. Oh moment, yeah, because it was just the way that he said it, where he said, "Well, you know, I would, I could just kill the the leading person and leave the other two to fend for themselves, but I'm a gentleman." <laughs> um, that is, <laughs> yeah. There, there's just something to me about that thinking that he's doing them a favor, and it's so fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> Um, one of my favorite line readings is actually from that sequence where um, the one kid who doesn't want to be there at all because he's probably the smartest person there mm-hmm. um, <laughs> says something like, you know, like, oh, I don't want to be. I want to go get it, whatever. And then he says something about the go whatever. And the way Matt Dillon says something like, yeah, well, no one asked you, Georgie, or something like that. Yeah. It's like in a comedy, that would be a dumb joke. But 
in this film. Get the fuck out. <laughs> with with a serial killer, you know, unbeknownst to them, it's just very, very rich. And can I just say, I also giggle every time, because no offense, but this is how I feel about Republicans that are so fucking married to their guns. And I'm not even one hmm. who's against banning, or right. for banning, but... I'm sorry, but the reaction shots of the mother every time it cuts, not even cuts, it always like uh, drapes to her um, when he's showing the other one how to shoot the gun and he's just being such a a gentleman, ha ha ha, but he's being such a careful and, you know, meticulous person and he's bestowing his wisdom upon him with the, and she's just smiling like she's found such a great guy. Mm. And you know what? (sighs) Guess what's on the other side of that coin? Yeah. So that oh um, another part of that scene uh, that I found interesting, and this is coming from someone who's not seen a lot of Vontra's earlier films, but I do know that there's a very specific scene regarding a baby in Antichrist. Mm. Um, and I feel like uh, even though we have a character who's murdering children, it's actually done kind of tastefully in this film. Yeah, no, he as tastefully as one can do something in a no, large but I mean, I mean, I mean like, the baby I... scene in Antichrist is much worse than this is. Which, which was what Maybe I was Anne guessing. Maybe because it's a baby. Yeah, but, also... but, but... What, what's the hierarchy of fucked up baby scenes? It's that, and it's the opening scene from The Witch. <laughs> yeah, that's actually, bad. that is worse, right? in my opinion. Right? I actually watching. I yeah. actually always go back to um, that really very mediocre Gavin O'Connor film with uh, Edward Norton and. Oh, Pride and Glory. Yeah. yeah. Where actually that's way more funny to me. Because that's one of those like <laughs> things that never should have made it into a movie right, if where, you're not being a large function. I don't know if you I don't know if it's, you're have you ever seen this film? No, so it's, it's about it's, bad cops. Yeah, it's it's very clunky. But this bad particular bad scene is so out of left field. Um and it's just a uh crazed cop who's trying to get information out of a ultimately innocent family oh no and he grabs a baby puts it on a ironing board and sticks an iron straight into its face oh my god now he doesn't he doesn't actually burn the baby oh my god at the same time i feel like this is actually worse yeah i agree um just because a it's out of place and b it it is it it, is all that movie was trying to do was show you that you know he was not a good cop, and there were a million ways you could have did it yeah, without like, leaving like a sour taste wow. in, in the audience. Oh my Whereas god! If, fortunately, it's a double standard because if Von Trier had a film where someone put an iron to a baby, I'd be like, "Hi, art. You crazy for this one, Lars? You crazy for this well, one?" But but that being said, and and to, to to kind of play along with your PETA comment from earlier, yeah. Oh my god. This is a serial killer, right. so there's nothing that is below him. Yeah. Uh, so murdering children is not necessarily part of it. And nope. again, uh, it's a film, so okay. But I mean, he's he murders the kids, but it's not like some gruesome moment that we no, see that comes after. Person. Which yeah. then is like okay. So does he have compassion for the living? Because he seems to, in the sense that he genuinely. Cr- cries when he botches the lady in the house's murder. You know, like, he's upset because she's still alive, and, you know, he's like, I'm sorry, you know, whatever. Um, He then, obviously, plays with the bodies of the children after the fact, which I think he even has a line saying that putrefaction is just nature, and if, if I have 
how can I if 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 living is what is attached to a soul, mm-hmm. how can I really be doing anything morally wrong after they've been disposed of? You know, like that kind of. Yeah. I'm not agreeing. With I know, that. but it's just like, yeah, but it's just... just going by his logic right. um, and whatnot. Um, can I say really quick? I I love in that sequence with the hunting uh, that the way we get introduced to the killings is a random jump cut because the picnic is actually going well. I mean, well, you know, whatever. And we just cut to them already hiding from him as which he's is, which, shooting out into the open. Which I actually loved because yeah. I feel like that's what the family would actually feel it's yeah. like. And, so it, and it, it was worked. like, that's way more terrifying than any of the violence in that scene because it, for me at least, the yeah. audience is like, trying to get their bearings and you're just like holy I'll, shit I'll never understand why during the 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 third uh encounter why they didn't just take their fucking hats off I don't is this I think she was going to be able to kill him no matter what I, I know but it's it's just like I don't. I don't. Oh, God damn it! I think I, it just makes it that much. Unfortunately, funnier. I'm trying to say this and be polite, but I'm just like I'm, I just I just I, I just look at that. And I'm just like think it was white pur- people. I think it was. I think it was purposely done. Why yeah. don't certain people take their red hats off? Yeah. They, they will. Even go- though it literally makes them a target. Yeah. No, I mean like seriously, like they they walk in the gym with their mega hat, and then they're like, "Why are you accosting me?" No, but 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 the, but the they they will literally right. they will literally still believe in I'm this all bullshit. Right. They will literally still believe in this bullshit yeah. even after it turns on them. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah, that's that's, that's kind of fucked up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. about almost any action uh, throughout this film. Yeah. Um, I will say yeah. uh, some to this film's credit is I remember a lot, and you know, we just did see it, but I do remember a lot of small details throughout here, which I think that means that they were meaningfully placed in here yeah. and easy to recollect, which is a, a really good trait. So. Absolutely. Um, I'll make one comment really quickly. I don't even think we need to talk about the fifth story because that's more of an action-oriented yeah. story. I mean, not the epilogue, but the. But I will say really quickly about the fourth story is that, for me, is the hardest one to watch because despite the fact that it's not very big on violence except for one... It's extremely demeaning. Uh, yes, yeah. extremely demeaning. Yeah. And it seems like a a culmination of the path he was on, like in the sense that I genuinely see a uh, causality thread starting from the moment that Uma Thurman called him a wimp and, you know, basically forced him to do that, quote-unquote, not literally. But Now he's specifically terrorizing women, not because there's, it sort of fits into his modus operandi of, of killing, but rather as sort of a retributive act against the person who he already killed, but just against the ideas that they sort of like put in his head. Yeah. And I also think that sequence is maybe the movie where Von Trier is at his most self-loathing because a lot of critics uh, who like him and dislike him have called some of his films misogynistic because he always seems to have female protagonists a lot of the time, and they always seem to suffer horrible fates uh, due to their own choices. Um, And I've always called bullshit on that because I feel like, so are you saying that it has to be a male that 
is going through these kind of self-destructive, because if anything, uh, I can't women play those characters too, because that seems to be the only thing that they would change. Like if it, no one's really saying if he makes a movie like about Jack, for example, uh, or that, that portrays men in a negative light because it's an MRA or something like, so I've always thought that the misogyny is kind of beside the point because I think that misogyny that exists in a film does not automatically mean that misogyny is built into its message. And I'm not saying that Lars von Trier might not have hangups. I'm not saying I might not have hangups. I mean, I think misogyny is built into our patriarchal system. Yeah. But I don't think that he kind of goes hand in hand. Yeah. But I think that whole sequence in which um, Jack, or shall we say Mr. Sophistication, uh, literally has a a girlfriend that he calls simple because he sees himself as so uh, superior in every way, but especially intellectually. Um, To be fair, or to be frank, uh, (laughs) let me be frank. Yeah, let me Uh, be Jack. To to be frank, I I see Von Trier as someone who probably has been in that period in his life uh, at one point, like when maybe when he was younger. I feel like we've all go through at least a micro period of that. Oh yeah, I did. Okay, I did. You know, yeah, and I grew the fuck out of that. Yeah, and I'm not saying that it's as maybe you know blunt or as uh, laced with misogyny or that hardcore. But I think like that's every man in America, and the, the whole point is you grow up, uh, you know. Hopefully, and I think that was kind of unsure, admitting that like he was probably at least a fraction of that at a later age than he should have been, because I do think some of his, uh, I mean, Nymphomaniac, you know, uh, that's a movie in which Joe is repeatedly telling uh, her, shall we say, listener, played by Stellan Skarsgård. Uh, uh, stories about her tales of sexual debauchery. And yet he ends up getting from that that she's there for him. Well, and I was going to say, even besides the ending, that he continually interrupts her to somehow kind of elevate the discourse, despite yeah. the fact that he's a fucking virgin. Mm. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, that's her through line and from her stories, and yet he always has something to say about, you know, this instance and this, and it's like, you know what, maybe you don't know everything just because you have a penis. Uh, so yeah. What? Yeah. Um, My son works? I think a very interesting choice throughout this, and I think that dis- detest for uh, that he has, Jack, that is, um, for Riley Keough's character, who I think her name's like Jacqueline or something like yeah, that, so. but he continuously calls her simple, um, is that He's not a good enough serial killer to go after actual people. Oh, right. That he thinks he detests these people, but at the same time, he's never been able to level up yeah. to uh, people who he would consider more of a challenge. He's just kind of stuck around with these people that, A, seem like they have no other connections to anybody, and also, too, that he believes he's a superior to, yeah. but at the same time... And all-female. 
Oh, well, until yeah. the end. Although he but... claims it's random what we're seeing. Well, which... and that's the conversation that I think kind of ties into what I was saying as yeah. far as that he, you know, that is basically a critic saying, why do you choose these quote-unquote stupid women, which is something that you could say to Lars von Trier, the scriptwriter. Why mm-hmm. are you writing stories with females in them if you're trying to write quote-unquote empowering stories or if you're trying to put females at the forefront of dramatic cinema in, you know, even if they're in harsh, you know, worlds and whatnot, why do you write them with such a proclivity to be so self-destructive mm-hmm. and so uh, self-loathing? I don't think Lars von Trier knows any other human way to be, female or male. Right. So, uh, but I think that was Virgil basically standing in for uh, that long, decades-long conversation that a lot of critics have been having with von Trier. Mm. So. Yeah. Yeah. Ready? Ready to go to ratings? Yes. Okay. I will go first. Uh, I will give this a three out of five, as I did enjoy this film, and I, for the most part, have enjoyed my time with old Larry here. He's a good <laughs> bud. Yeah. Um, I... So wait till you get, his, get to his depressing films. <laughs> and I'm not joking. <laughs> I know. I, I know you're not, which is depressing in and of itself. Yeah. If you see something like this and you're like, boy, this is a spiritual uplifter. It's like, oh, no. Wow. This is a laugh riot. Charles from Fox News. Oh, my Jesus. Oh, my Geraldo Jesus. Rivero from Fox <laughs> News. Um, oh, God. Could you imagine the, the epilogue is the exact same, but it's just Geraldo Rivera? And at the very last, by the bridge, is Al Capone's vault. <laughs> Oh my god. Yes. It's like you can finally get to Al Capone's vault. All you got to do is just climb along this fucking wall. Honestly, we're joking, but that's kind of actually the payoff to the door of the freezer. Yeah. I feel like for Lars von Trier, you think that is. there's going to be something in there. And obviously there is, but it's still a barren yeah. wasteland. Anyway. Yeah. Although I will say, uh, once he does open the uh, vault and get in there, uh, he doesn't go through with his final killing. No. So. No, which means is he more enticed? Oh, he's obviously more enticed by... But I mean enticed by the p- possible promise of, like... Salvation? S- yeah, like something beyond. Yeah, yeah he like, wanted to make like his own Playmobil house. He doesn't have to kill anybody. That yeah. was just, you know... I suppose. Yeah. That was back when I was having to deal with these people. <laughs> uh, I thought that overall, one of Von Trier's strengths as a filmmaker always... Also for me leads to his downfall, which I think is a pretty good telling of him as a, as a filmmaker, is that he creates these stories that also involve and interweave different different theories and different types of history and different things to educate the audience, while at the same time uh, becoming a little bit grandstanding, I think. Mm. Uh, and I think that's why some of parts of his films have like utter brilliance, and some parts are just, whether they be good or bad, they're just difficult to wrestle with, um, which I think is a perfect encapsulation of him probably as a filmmaker, is that he is an imperfect person and a imperfect filmmaker with plenty of faults, but at the same time, he's going to make exactly what he wants to make, and uh, I think... I mean, Even though I don't necessarily want to ever watch any Christ, although maybe I will, um, his films are something that I would want to always watch, even if I don't necessarily 
love them. Yeah. If that makes sense. And what you're saying really quick about him being imperfect and whatnot, which is absolutely true, obviously, mm-hmm. is like, I think he also put that in this movie. I mean, I, sure. that's all I can think about whenever I see Jack smash down another house, <laughs> which is like, what a pointless endeavor because I'm trying to aspire to something else. This is not my beautiful house. Well, the fact is, is that also, too, he could never be that person because he's not really an architect. Yeah. He thinks he should have been, but really, he's just an engineer. Yeah. So, that being said, uh, I think this is definitely another film from him that people should sit down and, and give a shot to. Um, Watch it with the family. Probably not. Uh, but at the same time... Go on a picnic. Oh, God. Uh I thought it was uh, still pretty good. So three out of five from me for the house that Jack built. Toussaint. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give this a three out of five. It's more of a marginal three out of five, but I'm still going to stick with it just because I think that this is a marginal downgrading or upgrading? no, no. I mean like upgrading because like it, okay. it, it kind of, it kind of for me sort of hovers around the two point seven sort of range and i'm just going to sort of round it up so it's an upgrade he said he so, said so three. it's up it's a oh, 2.7 the final rating you're saying is right it's it's a three point. yeah I'm just, I'm just rounding it up That's to clever. it i'm rounding it up to a three because yeah. i think that this is a i think it's a well-made film if a formalistically kind of straightforward and as a result boring film compared to like what he's done in the past um, again, I think that this is mid-tier, like, cringe horror. I think that the, as grotesque and gratuitous as the violence and the murder is, it feels totally after the fact. And I know that that's, that, that, that could be to the film's credit, but for me, it just feels kind of, I don't, I don't know where that sits with me right now. I love the last 20, 20 minutes with the catabasis. I think that's fucking awesome. You made a comment during watching it that you would watch an entire film of that. Yeah, I would. I would, too, I, I would watch an entire... Like, by Von, Von I, I would. I would watch an entire film of that by Lars von Trier just going into the weirdest, most existential, like, fantastical kind of um, environments possible. Like, I'd like to see that from him, even though I know that he's just not that kind of director. It's just like seeing that, in this case, I'm just like, dude, he could... He could fucking do this shit if well, he wanted the, to. The other thing you could really do with it is if you as the audience had no knowledge of necessarily why this person is here. Right. Um, and you just kind of had to put the pieces together in your own mind and I, make up your own. I think that would be quite I a thought good that film. Been, I would have definitely given that more than a three out of five. <laughs> and in my in my opinion, I, I, I would totally fuck well, with that. Well, he's always taking cues from himself. So technically, right. this might be a dry we'll, run for we'll something. See. We'll see. I mean, I, I'd, I'd love to... I'd love to entertain that idea if he ever like decides to um, to run with that, but expand for, in, upon that universe. Yeah, not the universe anyway. Yeah. But in this case, um, I thought Dylan was great. He is a great leading actor in this role. I liked Uma Thurman. I liked all the supplementary like um, performances in this. The just the comic absurdity of this motherfucker, just like. It's so fascinating to me to have, like, all these, like, elements of fate seem to work in his favor, seemingly, only for him to ultimately, like, be brought down so low as to destroy himself in hell. There's something just so, so fucking, like, 
Arrogant? Yeah, arrogant and, and, and almost cathartic and seeing that. I was like, well, you just like, you know, you know, those those motherfuckers who just seems to like glide through on life and they just seem to like no matter what happens, no, shit just does not stick to them. Thanks, just John. just the thought that that eventually we don't yep, know anybody like that right now. Just event, it just just the thought that that eventually it's it's not even going to come down to like a comeuppance for all the things in their past. It's just by their own nature that they will destroy themselves. It's so mm, mm, that that uh that <laughs> I I can't. I'm sorry, Tucson. I hate to interrupt you, but I can't not think of Jim Carrey and Batman Forever. You yeah. just did that, and you're like, it's so you, but yet yeah, so you. <laughs> yeah, it's so you. That's <laughs> pretty good. Yeah, but um, this gets a uh, three out of five from me. <laughs> Nicholas. Hello. Uh, <laughs> it's you. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of this movie. I'm a big fan of mm-hmm. this director. Um, it's not quite on his tier of, you know, best films. <laughs> yeah. Lars von Tier. That's very cute. <laughs> um, but I, I genuinely love it. Um, I'm, it's one of those things where Nymphomaniac and now this are, you know, he's in this self-reflexive phase. And I do hope he goes out of it because I also don't want to see the same movie over and over. But I'm all for Lars von Trier re- not repeating ideas, but playing with himself. Hate <laughs> um, Yeah. What? Tucson? Don't act like you're not impressed. Um <sighs> <laughs> but I'm I'm all for Von Trier having that kind of elasticity where he can try an idea once and then think of a different use for it because he's never not going to be commenting on himself as a filmmaker and as a person. So the idea that his films are going to share a lot of noticeable patterns and formalist structures is is honestly to be expected, and it's why I'm showing up. You know, it'd be like not it'd be like showing up to a Wes Anderson film and like being upset that he uses, you know, gosh colors and, and that the characters speak like no human beings. Puppets! <laughs> Fuck this shit! So, I am... I, I'm a big fan of this. I kind of love it in relation to where he is in life, which I know is all speculation. It's not like I know Von Trier at all. Um, but I don't think it's without merit to compare this to his public standing right now uh, and to uh, place it in the context of uh, his historical musings on a very public forum. Uh, And he's inviting that too. I mean, he, this is the second time in a row, actually, this isn't the first time, but in Nymphomaniac, he did it also, but having a montage of clips from your own uh, film uh, obviously, for me, that's him tying those two films together, saying he's not quite done with this <laughs> uh, phase right now. But also, it between the two of them, it uh, I would say if he did it in Nymphomaniac, it was because he was actually alluding to how all of his works, I think, led him to Nymphomaniac. I mean, there's a lot there in the history of Von Trier. Whereas in Jack, I think he's saying how all of his bad decisions <laughs> uh, have led him here, and he is now facing them as a person. So I, I'm a big fan of this. I think it's hysterical as a comedy, to be honest. Um, I think some of the violence is very brutal, but honestly pretty watchable for Von Trier. And uh, I give it four out of five stars. It's it's not uh, it's not on the highest tier, but man, it's exactly what I personally 
want out of a uh, Lars von Trier film in this day and age. Oh, well, very good. So, if any of our friends out here in the, uh, the podcasting community who listen to our little show here would like to uh, give their thoughts on Lars von Trier and specifically the house that Jack built, always feel free to send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. Coming up on our next episode, it will be our annual two-part uh, episode where we will both discuss our top six films of the year. Is that our next one? Yes. My bad. Mm-hmm. I thought we were doing Jingle All the Way. Now, well, Jingle All the Way is technically going to be released before this episode comes out. Oh, because we're... Oh, I didn't realize we were which makes a lot of sense. Is it past? Never mind. I'm or sorry. Or is it that's okay. future... Any hoodles. So, yeah. So, so on our next episode, we're going to do our annual... List? Top, yeah, yeah, our annual top six uh, films of the year for each uh, each host. And also, too, uh, we'll do a second part where we go through our favorites of this past year. The uh, favorites. Which actually is my favorite episode every year, pretty much, because it's fun to... Think back to all the little details. That it you, is fun. You know, kind I'm of, getting my ballot together. You're getting your ballot together. Plus, it's such a positive episode for myself. Usually, yeah. Could it? Like, I like the idea that for one episode, we don't really try to... Not that we ever really try to do that anyway, mm. but it's just about each person celebrating what they loved. That is very much true. There Although, is our least favorite film. I was going to say, we well, usually had one. at least one category that's negative, but yeah. I mean, that's pretty Usually those minor. are, yeah, yeah, I would say almost either A, agreed upon, or... I was going to say, there is usually a lot of slam dunks on that, because I... Come on and slam, and welcome to the jam! Yeah. Oh, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to really harshly disagree if I say that, I don't know, something like Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is my Hey, fuck favorite. you, man. Yeah, you betcha. Uh, I mean, try. I didn't like that movie, but <laughs> fuck you. Okay. Anyway. Art is art. Yeah, you bet. When they I, got a, the human, I forgot about that. Yeah, the human cloning thing was really the downfall of that oh. film. I mean, there were a lot of other faults, but when it's like, this is actually about humans. <laughs> Okay. Man is the greatest monster. Silent Green is people. That's kind of what that ending yeah. feels like. Silent Green is dinosaurs who are also people. So, uh, that'll be coming up on our next episode here on Film Tank. So, from Nick Cheney, hey. Toussaint Egan, yo, myself, Alex Diekman, thank you very much for catching up with us here at Film Tank. We'll be catching up with you next time.